Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So I have finally tackled the redesign. The redesign. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't say tackled as though it's completed. <laughs> I have finally <laughs> begun chipping away at the redesign, <laughs> which is probably going to take me a year. <laughs> sure. You know, the, that the longest journey starts with the first step, and you have taken that first step. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been a long time coming, and I, I've been you've been hearing me talk for years about how, you know, at some point I'm gonna start, I'm gonna tackle this redesign of Overcast and really, you know, modernize the design. And and, you know, I, I had this whole image in mind of like, you know, things being you know, much more rounded, pulling away from the edges, you know, making it look, look like a modern app. You know, right now, a lot of overcast design still has a lot of that, you know, iOS 7 style aesthetic of like everything goes edge to edge, everything is square, the borders go all the way across, stuff like that. Um, and, and it definitely is, is looking dated. Um, and so I wanted to tackle that in general. And along with the redesign, this is where, <laughs> you know, there are many conditions where if I was making a brand new app today, starting from scratch, I would, of course, do things differently than how I did things in 2014 or 2013. When did I write this? App? I forgot. 20, 2014 is when I released it. Okay. So, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff I would do differently now if I was starting from scratch. You know, I would obviously be using Swift 100%, whereas Overcast started out 100% Objective-C because it predates Swift. And yeah. so it, you know, it, it was it, – it's still – in transition, you know, most of the new code I'm writing is Swift, uh, but not all of it because sometimes I have to be inter- interfacing with such Objective C crap that it makes a lot more sense to um, to just do it in Objective C. Uh, but for the most part, most of the new code I'm writing, I'm writing now is Swift. Um, also, in the in those intervening years, we've gotten Swift UI, uh, which is again whole new way to do things. And Overcast currently uses almost no Swift UI in the main app, although the Watch app, of course, is Swift UI now, uh, which was a huge benefit. Uh, and then also in the intervening years, we've had huge advances in iOS. And of course, there's also cross-platform, uh, you know, requirements or, or considerations now. You know, there there wasn't, you know, the Catalyst didn't exist back then. There was no, you know, iOS apps running on Mac kind of thing. So, We've had massive changes in the in the years since I started writing this app, but it's such a big app that it's hard to just switch it all over at once. And so I've been planning this redesign in my head, and and part of the reason why it has taken me so long to even start the redesign efforts is that I had this massive like scope creep going on in my head the whole time. Like what I was considering a redesign, I think. What, what it was becoming in my head was a UI rewrite. And that's a, and a rewrite is a very different thing than a redesign. And the scope of that is just infinite. Like, first of all, there's never a great time to start a rewrite because no. you always want to base it on the latest stuff if you can. And the latest stuff is always changing. So, for instance, you know, right now, if, if I wanted to do a giant rewrite, it would be pretty obvious. Like, I should probably do it in Swift UI. Uh, or at least mostly in Swift UI, uh, but you know, two years ago or three years ago, that was not necessarily a given. Um, you know, Swift UI was very bleeding edge at, the, at those times, and it would have been a little bit tricky. I mean, even today, it would be a little tricky to use Swift UI for for an iOS app of non-trivial complexity. You know, we see people 
we see stories of developers who try it and sometimes it works and a lot of times it doesn't and you know even apple struggling with you know how to use swift ui well in larger apps so you know that that's kind of that might be not a given yet you know um but certainly you know five years ago it would have been questionable to rewrite your whole app in swift at all it's just swift the language but today that's more of a given so great you know that that's kind of a win but certain things you know depending on when what time you're looking at something it could be too early for that thing or it could be about to be replaced by something else or it might have just been replaced by something else but you can only use it if you require the newest os and maybe you should wait a year or two before you do that and so there's always all these considerations that make it really hard to ever get started and so part of the reason why i hadn't started until recently is that i it, there were just i i kept spinning my wheels on like what a redesign should even be and and how big it should be. And then the second part is that because so many of these massive changes in how apps are written and how UIs are written specifically, all those changes have happened. Because of all that, during this time, Overcast has fallen further and further behind on the technical slash API levels as well as the visual design level. And so I was I had to keep, you know, just spinning and spinning just trying to keep the app modernized trying to move it away from deprecated old apis trying to move it away from like a lot of weird ui kit hacks that i was using to achieve certain effects you know and the scope of this redesign kept growing and growing in my head and thinking like well if i'm going to rewrite it from scratch i'm obviously going to use all swift i'm obviously going to use you know combined slash swift ui mechanics um you know, obviously, I'm going to re- you know, redesign the whole thing to be more modern and maybe do it in a way that could be flexible across the platform so I could have just one UI code base and it would also run on iPads and Macs, you know, maybe even who, who knows, maybe the TV, <laughs> who knows, right? So it just kept growing and growing and growing in scope. And so I never started it because it was such a daunting prospect to to rewrite the whole app. And there's never a good time for that. Uh, do you feel that that with any of your apps? Yeah, and I I feel like it's there's two things that you're describing, and I think I feel this more on one than the other. And like there's the the redesign sort of part of this, which is the visual like what the customer interacts and sees part of it, um, and then there's the like I guess the rewriting or the recoding or um, rearchitecting part that is much more what the engineer sees and focuses on and you know those two those two things are very like they're very related but they're they're very different that you can do one without the other you could do both together um but they're very separate concepts and i feel like the the redesign is something that in some ways you is is easier to pick up insofar as it's not strictly tied to any of these these complexities and the kind of growing tech debt and all the, the, the aspects that, that you're talking about that can make it so intimidating to start. The redesign you can do, um, and also you can do is the kind of thing that you can do incrementally rather than necessarily having to do it kind of whole, whole sort of the whole way or from the ground up. But as soon as you start trying to modernize or increase the, you know, sort of adopting new APIs or, do- or making the app more modern in any way, you suddenly you hit these all these walls where it's like, if I make this change, it becomes very hard to go back. It becomes very hard to make sure that it's going to work. Um, you have all the difficulty of you're doing this while people are, you know, sort of have an existing user base who has existing expectations who 
I don't expect would be particularly, you know, happy about if there were regressions or issues or problems that come up. And so there is really never a good time to do that <laughs> because the benefit is it's like you're, you're you're making a benefit to yourself ostensibly into the you know sort of far into the future by taking on like pain and discomfort right now. And um, so I I very rarely have you know, sort of undertaken this. And it's I'm you know, it's like some of my apps are you know I would if I was writing them now I would write them very differently. I would structure them very differently. I would use different technologies. But instead, I'm just like limping along, updating things as I go, doing my best to, um, you know, keep things working. And really, it's only if I hit a wall where I there's some new thing, you know, like whatever, and I was 15, I was 16, I was 17, there's some feature that gets deprecated completely or goes away completely or something doesn't work. Like you were running into your issues with uh, uh, nav bars in, you know, in this last update. And it's those are the things that tend to force the issue, but in terms of choosing to do it, in terms of choosing to start doing a redesign or start doing a rewrite, um, it is one of those, like, there's never a good time. And unfortunately, that of course, that does mean that eventually it's like you're falling farther and farther behind. And so I suppose unless you are constantly rewriting as you go, which isn't probably a good idea either, um, like, there is no good answer to this. It's just, this is the reality of, of software development that, um, especially you know, the early stages of an app when it is young and has a very small user base or only a beta uh, user base, you know, you can be more, uh, a, you know, be, be, be a bit more wild with your implementations or change things. Or if a new thing comes out, it's like, oh, wow, that re- that's really cool. Let me adopt that. But at a certain point, the app, it's like the inertia just gets too large and, you know, it just, it never really makes sense to do. And so you either have to do it piecemeal or, uh, just sort of accept that this is going to be a long, detail-oriented slog to make sure that you're not, you know, making a horrible mistake uh, in the process of doing this. Yeah, because you know you're right that like the best time to do it is never, like, <laughs> or the best time to start doing it is never. But you also, at some point, have to do it. Like, because there's not there's never a good time to start, but the you also have to get it done sometime, <laughs> right? Yeah. So. It's it's one of those things that that takes a lot. It takes kind of a leap of faith and you know, kind of some foresight and, and a lot of you know self discipline to to properly balance when and when and to what degree you do this. But you know, all this time I I, I kept thinking about it as this you know grand rewrite of most of my UI. And I think what you said a minute ago is is wise, and that's kind of where where I'm going now. Is I've decided and and just started working on just doing a piecemeal. You know, just uh, it, there's never going to be some big grand release where the design drops all at once and everyone's blown away. What I'm doing is I have I have multiple different ideas for multiple different screens and parts of the app and how I'm going to do certain things. And I'm tackling them one by one. And so for a while, the design is going to be just slowly evolving. And, you know, some parts of it will be a little bit bigger. Like I want to kind of restructure the now playing screen. And so, you know, that's that's going to have to drop all at once. But you know, for the most part, the design is going to be gradual uh, over time. And I've also decided that it's not going to be massively different from what I have now. It's just going to be updated as opposed to totally reimagined, you know, because what I have now is mostly fine. Also, it's a podcast app, which means two things. Number one, people aren't staring at the UI the whole time they're using it. And number two, it's a utility app that people who use it 
tend to use very frequently and tend to be very attached to the way they already use it. And nobody wants a tool they use all the time every day to radically change in ways they don't care about or that might confuse them or that might make things worse for the specific way they use the app. You know, nobody wants their tools to to change from under them. So I have to be fairly conservative with some of the things that I do. Um, but basically all this is to say I finally started the redesign and I've decided to do it incrementally and critically a lot of the redesign work I've done so far, which I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm like doing things like modernizing some, the appearance of some of the list screens so far. Um, but a lot of the work I've done so far is not going to involve even a rewrite of its view controller. And you know, some of the, some of them I'm, I am rewriting, um, but some of them I'm not. And a lot of this work I'm just doing in Objective C. I'm not rewriting the whole view controller in Swift. I'm not rewriting because that's then too. Like rewriting rewriting things in Swift also brings other issues like. If I want to access certain things in Swift, it's easier if I modernize the layers that are below them (laughs) and rewrite those in Swift. And there's like, there's this massive data model layer in Overcast that is all Objective-C. And I've put a couple of Swift shims on top of it to do certain things, but, you know, most of that stuff is going to stay Objective-C. Like, it makes no sense and would bring no benefit to me or my customers to rewrite the entire app in Swift. So, you know, those low-level stuff, that's going to remain Objective-C until it makes sense to rewrite it for other reasons. And then maybe I'd rewrite it in Swift. But most of that stuff is going to stay Objective-C, so I have to also balance, you know, the needs of interfacing with that and everything. So anyway, I'm doing it incrementally. I have finally started, and it feels great. And I'll tell you uh, exactly what I've done in a minute. But first, we are brought to you this time by the best-in-class iOS app book series. The best-in-class iOS app book series is here to help you take your apps from good to great. It's written by indie developer Jordan Morgan, and he's covering all he knows about what he believes are the four most critical topics to develop quality software in iOS, accessibility, design, user experience, and iOS APIs. So the accessibility section is great. You learn how to make sure your apps are designed for everyone. Master the basics and then deep dive into APIs like the rotor control or how to best support voiceover. And design. Every successful app eventually wins with design, speaking of which, but it looks different for each app. Here, you'll figure out how to find your app's voice and use it to make it look and feel right at home on the iOS platform. Now, if an app is pretty to look at but unusable, it'll get deleted. So the user experience section is all about how not to let that happen. And finally, the last section in the series is an exhaustive look at all the major iOS frameworks and APIs. You can learn about things like WidgetKit, that sounds familiar, or how to leverage the Siri APIs to make sure your app is tightly integrated across the system. So I've seen this book series so far. It's coming out. It's an early access, and new content updates come out every two weeks. The accessibility book is up first. It already has over 100 pages of content, over 30 code samples with both UIKit and SwiftUI. And this is really great so far. It's looking great, and I strongly suggest that you check it out. The series will be $160 when it's out of early access, and our listeners can right now enjoy a 50% early access discount. You can get all the books in the series as they come out, a comprehensive Xcode project with all the code samples, access to a private Discord server with the author and other developers, a bonus section just for early access buyers, and free updates for all the books. Visit bestinclassiosapp.com slash radar to get started today. Whether you're an experienced developer who wants a reference guide, or you need to brush up on design, or just new 
new to the world of iOS, this book series has you covered. It's like Apple's HIG combined with the in-depth documentation and code samples. So once again, that's bestinclassiosapp.com slash radar to get the series for 50% off. Our thanks to Best in Class iOS app for their support of this show and Relay FM. And so I think I mean, what you're describing, I think, sounds very practical and wise that like doing it incrementally, doing it in a way that preserves as much of the existing sort of battle tested code that exists in the app as possible, that, you know, you're rewriting things when it is sort of essential or makes sense or really makes your, that process much more straightforward, but otherwise leave as few things touched as possible, but allow yourself to evolve it. And I think it, it, makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes, in a weird way, it made me think when you were describing it, it makes me think of the way that Xcode um, has evolved over the years, where I feel like every year at WWDC, there's a, there are some improvements that happen or changes that happen to the UI, to the way it's structured, to the way it looks. Um, but in in general, I would say the Xcode team has done a great job of making them kind of the, there are these incremental changes that if you look back over several releases are substantial, meaningful, and kind of you know, become, become more profound. But from each release to the next, their changes are much more minor and easy to adapt to. And you kind of have this stepping stone process where um, it isn't doesn't hit the, you know it doesn't hit you all at once and mean that you don't know how to use things that it preserves familiarity while still allowing you to to bring things forward. So it seems like it's a sort of a great way to do this that it just is very pragmatic uh, and and good and wise as a result. Well, and, and you know I, I thank you for that, <laughs> but also like if I did it any other way, I would never do it. Like if I sure. actually tried to tackle the full UI rewrite that I've been envisioning for years. I would just keep envisioning it for more years. I would never actually do it uh, because that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, even big companies with big staffs have trouble tackling that. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's never a good idea to do. Um, so yeah, that's in this case, this is, this is how I, this is how I can do it. And this is how I should do it. So this is how I'm doing it. Um, so I, I'm starting out very, very simply. Um, you know, the, the first things I did were I disabled my custom font. So sorry, everybody who still loved it custom font is gone because it's very hard to do a redesign and test two different fonts with all these different conditions and have to tell all the frameworks every single time I'm using them, use this font, use this font, tweak this font this way. Like the system font has made a lot of progress in the last seven years or eight, whatever it's been, nine. How old is Overcast? A long time. It's it's old. A long time. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, the San Francisco, I, I think came out in that intervening time. I think when I, when I first wrote overcast it was against ios 7 and therefore it would have been helvetica as a system font um or helvetica noia but anyway so you know the san francisco font is really good and there's all these different variations it has now all these different styles you can make it deep support in the system for it and deviating from the san francisco font is getting to be uh decreasingly useful and increasingly a pain in the butt um, especially in the world of Swift UI, it's just so easy to just rely on the system fonts instead of, of having your own custom stuff. Um, and, and I can tweak the system font a little bit here and there to give it the personality and the behaviors and the metrics that I want, while still also retaining its like massive support in you know, things like uh, world alphabets, like where my, my previous custom font had some of the world's alphabets, but not many of them. Um, so you know, the system, San Francisco has way more support for that and stuff like that. So it's just... It, I think it's time for most apps to just use the system font at this point. Um, 
the the era of custom fonts being the norm, I think, is coming to an end and is largely uh, iPhone specific. I think once you go past the iPhone, certainly to to the Mac, um, but even if you look at the watch and the iPad, even I would say custom fonts are looking like a dated thing in those environments. Like on the Mac, they were never that big of a thing for apps. Um, on the watch, I think they shouldn't have been, and they mostly weren't. Um, and e- yeah, even on the iPad, where, which is kind of going, getting more and more Mac-like, I think a big custom font on the iPad kind of looks weird. So I dropped my custom font. Um, I, I think it's it's time for me to do that, and, and it's time, for honestly, for many apps to consider doing that. Um, also, I'm using uh, SF symbols a lot. Um, in part, this is because... I'm an okay icon designer, but Apple has way better icon designers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and you know, my icons kind of look, you know, a little developery in certain in certain points in the app. Uh and and Apple's icons are pretty good. And I use them extensively for the new watch app when I rewrote that. And so I'm using them in the main app now. I'm not using SF symbols exclusively. There's still some icons I'm drawing myself. Um, but I'm using them a lot. I'm using them in most places and it is largely fine. And this brings a lot of benefits. So number one, it's just easier and faster and makes the app smaller. They're, these are just assets that I don't have to manage anymore. Um, and it also unifies the look with other system apps. So there's a, a little bit of familiarity there, and it makes the app look polished, I think, when when your icons look really nice and, and when they match the system's styles. Um, that's usually a good thing. So again, this is an area where a lot of customization in the past was either necessary or um, stylish, and I think less icon customization over time is necessary uh, because the system stuff is just getting really good, and it's spreading across multiple platforms and, and just you know becoming more expected by, by customers. So SF Symbols making heavy use in most of the app now. Um, and finally, I've come to, you know, and I mentioned earlier, you know, doing things like rounding the artwork and pulling it in from the margins and list screens and stuff like that. But I started finally the other day looking at the new list configuration, list style configuration stuff uh, like th- that that they introduced. I think in iOS 13, but um, they're going to. I, I think in iOS 15, they officially deprecated a lot of the old methods of accessing like UI table view cell detail text labels and you know title text label and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff is deprecated now, and. I'm using a ton of that throughout the app. <laughs> so as I think, you know, most apps written before recent years of iOS would have used tons of that stuff because most apps contain a lot of table views. And that's <laughs> that's that's most of Overcast is table views. So I have a lot of that to modernize. And so I finally started diving into those you know, WWDC sessions over the last week from the last couple of years of, of WWDCs and looking at, you know, the, the modern list configurations, modern collection view stuff. You know, collection views now seem to be able to replicate much, if not most, of the behaviors of table views. But then you get some of the benefits of them being collection views and some more of the flexibility and everything else. So I'm finally diving into that and that – oh, and diffable data sources too. Yeah. That's a whole thing. Again – Having your models be uh, Objective C makes that a little bit <laughs> clumsy at times, but um, you know, shimming it here and there where necessary. But difficult data sources—that's another thing where you know I have so much code to do this manually, basically, and my code is both complex and also not perfect. And Apple's code, while it might be complex, 
it's you know shoved under the, under the surface and it becomes their problem not mine and it's better written to begin with because it's better tested against more cases and, and more more environments and by more people and more devices so the more of that complexity i can push onto the system frameworks the better so leaning into that and this stuff is massive like it the, the code samples are so big i'm using a lot of that like that modern collection view xcode sample that they have that is just filled with collection view <laughs> templates and it's just so massive and i, I hit a really low point a couple days ago like I, I had i had started doing all this difficult data source and modern collection view stuff because I'm, I'm trying to use that for my my root screen in the app the one that lists your playlist and podcasts because i'm making some changes there it would be a lot easier if it was a collection view and i and it's a relatively like the cells in that are relatively simple compared to episode lists um so i figured that was a good place to start and i just hit this low point of like when when you're learning a new api or a new language or whatever and what and all you see ahead of you is massive amounts of complexity and there's no end in sight and you you haven't really gotten anywhere with it yet and you like you know that that valley of doubt that you get into like when you're in that point i was so there like two days ago (laughs) because i was trying to get into all this stuff and it's just it, the prospect of going from where I am with, you know, UI table view delicate <laughs> and Objective-C stuff, going from that to difficult data source and modern collection view layout and stuff, it is daunting. And there is so much code and there's so much kind of, you know, to use an old Joel on software term, so much uh, architecture astronautism <laughs> going mm-hmm. on, like so many classes on top of classes and top of providers and factories. And it's just, oh, there's... Somebody read the Gang of Four book a lot when they designed these APIs, <laughs> but it's it is um, cumbersome to get started. But over the last couple of days, I have you know slowly gotten things working, and I'm I'm like I'm coming up out of that valley slowly now. So that's where I am, and I'm going to just start chipping some of this stuff. You know, I, I'm not going to wait until this is all perfect because it'll never happen. I'm not going to wait until it's all done because that'll never happen either. <laughs> I'm just going to start shipping some of this stuff and start getting it out there. And you're going to start seeing the seeing the, the you know the, the design of Overcast slowly get updated over probably a year or two, <laughs> and alongside you know other features and bug fixes I'm also doing in the meantime. Um, and I think that's that's not a very flashy way to do it, but I think that is a pragmatic way to do it for a one person shop trying to modernize a very large but fairly old app. Yeah, and I think it makes sense too insofar as it like it means that you have the ability to continue to be responsive to other ideas or opportunities or things that come up that it isn't you're, you know, you're shipping it as you go. You have an idea for something or something comes up, you can like pause the redesign do whatever it is you want to do and then come back to the redesign and it isn't, but you've been able to be, you know, making progress in the meantime that it does not like you had to wait until this huge monolithic thing happens. And then you end up in the weird state where like the, the farther your like main development set of code, like your main branch is from the thing that's shipping out there, like the more just risks you have for weird, like, Oh, I need to do with this minor little bug fix update. And then I need to remerge that back in and it just becomes a complete disaster over time so like doing it this way like just it's it, it, you know the, that pragmatism just is is it seems like it will bear a lot of fruit and it's like i've been doing a lot of this myself with um widget smith especially where 
I've been trying to, you know, make the app better, make it more intuitive, do these kind of changes. And a lot of it has just been these small little tweaks over the course of, you know, five or six updates that in aggregate can make a big impact, but I'm not causing a lot of trouble along the way. And so I think it is also nice that you can get, you can base your, you can adjust course based on the feedback. So if you update your main root list screen, Based on the feedback you get from that, maybe, you know, what's confusing, what's good, you can adjust as you go down into the next screen and the next screen, and you can be more responsive to your customers and making it the design that ultimately that works for them in a way that isn't necessarily coming it from, it's entirely based on what you think is best for you. It can be best for for everybody. And it's like, I mean, SF Symbols is great. I've been using that a, a ton myself. I feel like it's like San Francisco and SF Symbols are... You know, it's like Apple has done the work that they clearly have invested in those two areas of of, of the API in ways that mean that there's just it, it doesn't make sense to do it any other way. That nothing you can do unless you had a massive infrastructure team and design team and just expertise in this area that you'd be able to match anywhere close to what they're doing. And they especially with I love that there's SF regular sf rounded and uh the serif version now too mm-hmm. yeah new york like, i think they call it yeah new york i think they call it but like those three together mean that you can cover if you, you know different flavors or feels or you know styles in the app but all doing it all without losing any of that stuff you know if you wanted to make your app look a little bit i think the break the rounded one is a bit more playful or if you wanted to use the new york one the serif one it's like a little bit more fancy but you aren't you know, by do by going that route you're not losing anything they're just slightly different looks and it's enough to give you differentiation without um doing too much but anyway i hope this goes well for you and it sounds like it already has and that's exciting that this thing that i feel like you've been mentioning for you know years and years has finally begun and you're able to get cracking on it and it will never end never end <laughs> but at least it's one downside <laughs> at least yeah. at least it's starting exactly thank you for listening everybody and we'll talk to you in two weeks bye